All right, Mark chapter number 14, verse number 38. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, <laughs> but the flesh is weak. Boy, that don't that just fit right in the cog tonight. Here they are, they're in the garden. Jesus has already told Peter, there's going to be a chicken, he's fixing to crow, and you're going to deny me. <clears throat> and, and he's asked them to pray with him. And he's come back, you read verse number 37, and he said, Simus, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? And then we come to that text verse, watch ye and pray. Wake up, look, open your eyes, watch and pray. That doesn't sound right. Open your eyes and pray. That don't sound right. But he says, do it lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Last week when we began this particular message in this series of facing the giants, this is that giant of temptation. Uh, give you just a couple quotes and then we'll, we'll recap. Uh, but we told you that William Shakespeare said that temptation is the fiend at my elbow. Temptation is, is a lot closer than we would like to admit that it is. I mean, it is, it is right there. Uh, some, some of us, we, we are tempted by sight. Some of us are tempted by things that we hear or things that we think about. And, I mean, you could be having a good service like we've had. The spirit is high, everything. And somebody could say something. And, and if you're like me, my mind, it'll go 90 miles away from this place. And it'll start thinking about something else. And, uh, Brother David, this morning you was talking about Garth Brooks. Uh, thank God for unanswered prayers. I got to thinking about all them other country songs that I liked. It might make a good message one of these days, but I mean, I'm telling you just something just simple. He, William Shakespeare said, temptation is the fiend at my elbow. Oscar Wilde said, I can resist anything except temptation. And isn't that a fact? The apostle Paul said, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. And so we're dealing with this thought of temptation, and it is a continual fork in the road. Every day, throughout the day even, we, we have to deal with those decisions. Do we, do we follow this line of thought, or do we stay? I like what the preacher said this morning, just, just stay with the last thing that God told you to stay with. Stay with the, the last right thing, that God, the last call to order that God gave you. Stay with that. And so throughout the day we have to do, we want to follow this route of temptation or do we want to stay doing the last thing God told us to do? We told you that we have to understand the enemy. We warned you that he is subtle. We warned you that he is content to operate slowly. This enemy, he is calculating with his proportions. He may tempt you for years with something, but give you just a little bit of that temptation every day of your life until you get used to it. And then you get used to a little larger chunk. The McCamey sang a song 20, 30 years ago, getting used to the dark. 
And if you if you know what I'm talking about, uh, you got a bright sunny day, but all of a sudden you start lowering the blinds, and then you start twisting the blinds, then you start pulling the curtains, and what it's doing is you're getting used to the dark. And and Satan will do that. He'll give you just little purport, small proportions of temptation until you finally fall. And now we'll start with this, and we'll uh, we'll end our first point uh, with our enemy is crafty with his packaging. I preached a message years and years ago uh, entitled "Prepackaged Christians," and uh, I brought I bought a, a YooHoo, uh, uh, I bought a Coca Cola, and I bought a a pack of uh, uh, I can't remember what it's called uh, Kool Aid. And even each one of those, they have their own ingredients. They have their own thing. One sweet, all of them are sweet, but one sweet, just shake it up, open it. One, you gotta just don't shake it, open it and guzzle it down, make sure it's good and cold. Another one, you gotta add stuff to it, it's bitter. And, and we're a lot like those prepackaged items that we see. And Satan, he is crafty in his packaging. He will often put the truth of God in uh, in his temptation. He will give you a little bit of the word. You go back to Genesis chapter number three. G, uh, uh, the the serpent. He said, "Hath God said? Did God really say this?" And he began to to essentially uh, give Eve a way that she could say, well, God did say that, but he also said this, which she began to change God's word because he didn't say some things. The giant of temptation is not bound by any truth in advertising. He wraps his packaging with the most beautiful wrappings and the most attractive bows. A couple years ago, I said, you know what, I'm tired of... I'm tired of doing um, Christmas packaging. I, I'm tired of doing all them goofy bows and all this kind of stuff. So I worked at Kelsan and they sold this stuff by the truckloads. And so I got craft paper. You, if you don't know what craft paper is, it's it's just stuff that they make paper sacks out of, paper bags. And so we got a big old roll of that. And that whole year, I think, we wrapped everything just in brown paper bag. It didn't matter if it was a skateboard, a new computer. It all looked the same. And then somebody gave me the bright idea, just save all your Christmas cards, cut the the front of it off and glue it to it. And bless God, I was wanting to do it the next year. But my wife said, no, we're getting wrapping paper this year. But Satan does the opposite of that. In my situation, no matter the value, it all looked the same. But when Satan begins to wrap these temptations... He may have a small one or a big one, but they're all extravagant in their wrapping. They all appear as though they are appealing. We we want to have those. <clears throat> there was a Roman historian, he said, uh, things forbidden have a secret charm. Has anybody ever been guilty of being told, now don't look, but, man, I'm going to tell you, I'm fixing to look around. I'm going to break my neck trying to look. Or they'll say, now, listen, I got a gift over here in the corner. My wife, she's, I don't know why she has stuff in open in the bedroom, but she'll say, now, right over, I, don't mess with this corner. Don't come in this corner. I got your father. I got your birthday. I got your Christmas, whatever it is. And I'm telling you, there, man, there's a lot of times I'm over there by myself and I'm like, trying my best to figure it out. But the whole, 
her and the Holy Ghost, they got something together and it won't, just won't let me do it. But there's something that draws us to that thing that is forbidden. And God has given us clear evidences throughout the Scripture and in the New Testament. You can look at the law all you want, but the New Testament, Paul's writing, especially in Romans chapter number 1, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, he tells us there is a list of sins and y'all need to stay away from them. And so the devil takes those sins and he wraps them up. And he offers them to believers. He offers them to Christians. The giant of temptation makes sure that he wraps his packages with enticement. James chapter number 1, verse number 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Did you catch that? Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Satan's not going to tempt you with something that you aren't lustful about. Y'all hear me tonight and hear me well. He's not going to say, hey, look at this. I, I, I can't even think of an illustration right now, but he's not going to say, hey, look at this and, and you have no desire for it. Brother Joe, you're going to walk right on. You're going to turn your nose up at it and walk right on. But now if it's something deep down that you want or you desire or that you lust, that is what he is going to draw. Uh, but then he says, not only are you drawn away of your own lust, he said you're tempted when you're enticed. And tempted and enticed are two different words. And one means that you are acting upon it. And so we must be careful about this giant of temptation because he will wrap it. That word enticed, it's to catch with bait. I can't remember which psalm it is, but it talks about the fowler. And those birds fall into that fowler's um, trap. And he takes them and he sells them to market. That's what Satan desires to do. To you and I. Remember what Peter said, Brother Eric? He said that, well, Jesus said that Satan hath desired thee that he may sift you as we. But Peter said that our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And so our enemy, he's sly. And he's sly with this giant of temptation in our lives. Number two, if you are taking notes, number two, we'll start a new point tonight. Understand that a greater power exists than the power of your enemy. Now we have to ask, we've, we've described this enemy as crafty. He's calculating with his proportions. He's content to operate slowly. We told you that uh, he is subtle. And so when we describe this great big giant, what can... Now you know the answer to this. It's a church question. God's bigger than the boogeyman, right? That's, that's, that's what, what's them little people called? That's what the veggie tales people saying. God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla or the monster on TV. Anyway, y'all know that. Y'all just acting like you don't. But what kind of power is sufficient, is sufficient to de- defeat temptation? Now, has, has guilt, has guilt ever been sufficient? No. Well, Jim, I have sinned and I've been guilty of it. But I've fallen back in that sin before. Sin or guilt has never been a sufficient power to defeat temptation. Neither has determination or personal resolve ever been sufficient to overcome this giant of temptation. 
uh, as good an idea as it is to, the Bible says, to abstain from all appearance of evil, as good as it is to remove yourself from the atmosphere of temptation, even that is not able and it is not sufficient to keep you from temptation. I told you earlier uh, that a lot of people move away from temptation, but they send a forwarding address. And so temptation is there waiting on them when they get there. So what has this? What hope do we have? Romans chapter number 8, verse number 31 and then 37 The writer says, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Church, if if you are saved tonight and you're facing this giant of temptation, can I tell you, your only hope is having God on your side. Your only hope to fight any of these giants that we have talked about or that we will is the very fact that God is on your side. And honey, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Who is, hey, Nick, he look, he, he looking like he can probably whoop somebody now. And, uh, we were at lunch today and brother Bobby, and y'all pray for brother Bobby, he ain't here tonight. Uh, but brother Bobby said, yeah, I've tried to take him on before and he doesn't pick, <laughs> <laughs> he said he picked me up and he said, boy, you better put me down. He said, it's over. You pick me up off the ground, I'm done. But I'm going to tell you something. He may look strong as a little Mexican man up there. I say little, he could have whooped me with his hands tied behind his back. I'm telling you, he swole up like this, Brother Deke. He looked him. I'm telling you, he could have whooped. He might could have whooped you, Brother Deke. I'm telling you. But it, physical strength doesn't really matter. This physical strength is not what I'm talking about. Uh, Nick may be on our side. Old Pablo may be at our, on our side. So Samuel may be on our side. He's taking Taekwondo. Some he's taking some kind of Japanese fighting court, something other. Uh, he he might be able to do something to me, Miss Irene. But that don't have a, 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 a cause in the world when it comes to having Christ, having God on our side. If God be for us. Who, 8.37, Romans 8, chapter 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And I love this. This goes back to that sufficiency that we find there in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. My grace is sufficient for thee. He says that we are not just a conqueror. We're not just victorious over this enemy. We haven't just won. He said we are more than conquerors. We are the heavyweight champions of this thing because of who we're fighting with. It's because God is on our side. Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I can't remember where it's at. First Corinthians, I think it says, He says, quit you like men. And that word quit, it means act like men. He said, I want you to stand. Get ready for the fight. Ephesians chapter number 6, He says, stand therefore. Having done all to stand, stand. If you've done everything you can, just go ahead and do it anyway. Stand. And I'm telling you tonight, he says there in verse number 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord.
Lord and in the power of His might. If we get up there face to face, eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose with our enemy, or the adversary, slew foot, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, you might feel like you can bow up and whoop him. But I'm going to tell you something. You'll get drug around like a old cat. But I'm going to tell you something, Nathan. If we'll go in the strength of God and in the power of His might and let God do the fighting for us, we can be victorious. Amen. Talking about this giant of temptation. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna count myself with the, with everybody. By no means am I putting myself on a pedestal. I'm telling you, church, if we can get to the point where we can overcome the, now, up until this point, we've talked about the giants are, are bigger and stronger than we are. How uh, there was a messenger. How uh, we talked about the giant of our past. We talked about the giant of something else. I can't even uh, remember right now, but now, uh, we're in this giant of temptation. But I'm gonna tell you something. If the church as a whole can get over this giant of temptation and we can stop uh, living like the world and blending in with the world and start living a holy and a righteous life, uh, you'll never know what God will do in this world or with the rewards that we'll have in the next. He says there in Ephesians chapter 6, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of of his mind. First John chapter number four, verse number four. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. First John chapter number five, verse number four. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You go over there to John chapter number one, and he talks about being born of God, and it ought to do something for us. He says there in verse number 11, And he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. First John 5, 4 said, And whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. I'm telling you, there's somebody living within us. And we need to let Him do the fighting for us. I believe one reason why we have such a trouble with this giant of temptation is because we're not letting God do the fighting for us. We say, hey, this is on a Sunday morning. I'm going to be strong. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to overcome my enemy. Hey, what about saying, Lord, I surrender all. I need you to do my fighting. I need you to do my sparring today. I need you just to help me. I do what you can. I'll stand here. I'll be firm. I'll be faithful. But you got to do the fighting. Amen. And it'd help us if we can get there. I'm trying to hurry. Y'all are hurting me tonight. This pattern, this pattern of these battles, us going in, into them in our flesh as a defeated person, but realizing that God is able to do the fighting for us. This pattern is seen in Scripture. I'm not going to turn over there, uh, but Nehemiah chapter number 4, verse number 20 and 21. I'll just read you one little snippet. He says, Our God shall fight for us. In in Exodus chapter number 14, when Israel fled from Egypt, they found themselves at the Red Sea. If the, uh, Exodus chapter 14, verse 14 and 15. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. 
Boy, that's hard in 2021. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got something they want to share. And and I'm guilty on it too. Everybody's got to go to social media. Everybody's going to go, got to post a picture of of how big and how strong and how pretty and all this kind of stuff we are. He says, let the Lord fight. And I realize this is in Exodus. I realize this was not written to the church, but I believe that the Bible is good for the entire church. Everything in there can be applied to our life. And God said to Moses, the Lord shall fight for you. He says, and ye shall hold Hold your peace. Man, just a little while ago when I got up here, this storm passed through here. And I could feel the uneasiness. Feel the uneasiness in here. Maybe it wasn't in you. Maybe it was me. I don't know. But in the storms of our life, especially when we're battling temptations, so often we, we're not at peace. So often we're, 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 Lord, where are you? Lord, you said you was going to fight for me. Uh, 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 Lord, where are you? And you start talking to the enemy. And you start shouting insults at the enemy. He says you hold your peace. Sometimes, Brother Jody, it would be good if Christians would just hold our peace. If we keep our mouths quiet, shut, be still. He said be still and know that I am God. It do us good to follow the example. The Lord said unto Moses, verse 15, Wherefore Christ thou unto me, Speaking to the children that they go forward. He said, don't worry about the enemy behind you. The enemy's there. You know the enemy's there. The people know the enemy's there. Just just know that I'm there too. And walk on. Go forward. Amen. I think over there in Psalm 23, I, I, I see it on the back of, of funeral uh, 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 pamphlets. I see it in obituaries, Psalm 23. And I don't have a problem in the world with it. Somebody has peace in that during their time. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't remember exactly what verse, what it said. But he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He says, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say I was going to stop and camp out. Have a barbecue, have a weenie rose. He said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Amen. I'm telling you, sometimes we just. And this, Brother Dave, this is hard. That Bible, man, it'll mess you up sometimes if you ain't careful. Having done all to stand, stand, go forward. <laughs> What do you want me to do? God, you want me to go forward or stand? Do what I told you to do. When I tell you to stand, stand. When I tell you to fight, fight. When I tell you to go forward, go forward. When I tell you to kneel, you get the picture. What God says to do, do it. That's right. I'm trying to hurry. I want to say give me eight minutes, but that didn't work on Wednesday night. If Christ will always have the victory, do you believe that Christ is victorious? Amen. If He will always have the victory, then we can expect to have this victory through Christ every time He fights these battles for us. I read in an illustration book, and this man wrote, he said, what does a person who didn't play a second of the Super Bowl why, why do, what, what does, what right does he have to, to run out on the field when they win and celebrate the win? Why does he have the right to say we did it? 
Because when the guys on the field win, everyone wins. And they proudly, Brother Jody, they wear that ring. Because when their team won, the man on the bench won too. Now sometimes we find ourselves on the bench. Sometimes we find ourselves on the shelf. And we've mentioned that before. Sometimes we're in the thick of the fight. Sometimes, Brother David, Nathan, Samuel, sometimes we're that, we're that one that is, is to sing and to, to help us to march in triumph. Sometimes uh, uh, somebody's the, the banner bearer and we're, we're holding up the blood-stained banner of God. Uh, sometimes uh, God wants soldiers, He wants footmen, uh, He wants ones to hold up the shield or hold their sword up high. Uh, sometimes He wants those priests uh, to go forward to in front of everyone and say, hey, uh, the army's behind us now. Uh, let the man of God go before. Uh, let him bear the blood of And I'm telling you, every time, uh, whether it's the singer, the musician, uh, the banner bearer, or the, the, the soldier, the preacher, whatever God desires, they will be victorious. Amen. That banner bearer. One of the most important things in, especially in in. Uh, previous armies. One of the most important things uh, they found it and they considered it an absolute honor Brother Jody uh, to be able to hold the colors of their nation and they would hold it strong and firm and high. But if something were to happen and that man were, were to fall in battle and he was to be wounded, especially fatally wounded, and he could not go forward. Uh, the, the very closest one uh, would put down his rifle and he would pick up that, <laughs> he'd pick up that blood-stained banner. Maybe it's got a hole. Uh, maybe it's got a rip or a tear. Maybe it's on fire from some, some explosion. Uh, but he would pick it up and he began to march forward as long as the as long as the commanding officer I said forward march, why would he do that? Because the other men in battle needed to make sure that the colors were still upright, that they were still winning. And as long as it was still upright, as long as it was moving forward, the battle was still on. I want to tell you, honey, I want to hold the bloodstained banner of the cross, and I want to press on. Amen. I want you to know this thing's not over. It's not, I said it's not over. Hallelujah. Boy, sometimes we walk around like it's over and we're molly grubbing and we don't know what to do. But church tonight, I want you to know it's not over. Oh, we still got a lot of fight left in us. And it's because Christ is still in us. Amen. Apparently, I only got two points. I don't remember where the third one is, so good luck or you're welcome. I'm not sure. Ephesians 5, verse number 30 says, For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. Well, that ought to, that ought to excite us. We're not just a trinket around His neck, Brother Jody. We're not just some remembrance stone in His pocket. <laughs> He says we're members of His body. Not only members of His body, but of His flesh and of His bones. I've seen a lot of people that out of memory for someone that's maybe passed on, they'll get a tattoo or they'll, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll mark their body. I don't know, they'll do just different things. But it's more than that. 
that, that's in the body. But they, this is more than in the body. He said, you are of his body. He says, you are of his flesh. You are of his bones. And honey, if you ever study the marrow of the bones, you can't get no more a part of somebody or what other than being in the marrow of his bones. And he said that we're right there in the marrow of his bones. Oh, my soul. We're talking about that fact that there's a greater power than our enemy. We're members of his body. When victory comes to me, I got to know that it came to him. Because he died to sin, I can die to sin. Because he arose victorious, I can have victory. Because he was made new on that resurrection morning. Because he was made new, if you want to, if you want to go up to that ascension, if you want to, if you want to go that far, because he was made new then and he received his glorified body, then know that I can be new. You can be new. All of the warnings, all of the threats and the recognition of, of this temptation and the cost of failure, they, every single one of those are insufficient. All the warnings, they're insufficient. To ward off this giant of temptation. But knowing that Christ. Has already been victorious over it. Is where we can find our hope. Second Peter chapter number 1. Yeah chapter number 1. Verse number 3 and 4. According as his divine power hath given unto us. All things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him. That hath called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great. I need three people here in a minute to say amen. Exceeding great and precious promises. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter said, because ye are of Him. He says, you have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. These giants we give into and we cower under, and they are strong. But Miss Denisha, this plainly says that we've already overcome it. He says, because of this divine nature, because of these precious promises, because of this exceeding great and precious promises, because we are partakers of the divine nature, we have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But we don't live like it. We cower every time temptation comes our way. We cower under its shadow. Can I tell you today? It's His power that He speaks about in verse number 3. Not my power. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. Listen to this. His power, not mine, has already been given to us. His power, not ours, 
has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's already given us these great, these precious promises so we can enjoy something greater than we currently do. Now, one writer said that my unquenchable thirst for wrong has been replaced with a thirst for living water that has satisfied the deepest longings of my soul. Some of the best water I could ever remember. I'm 42 now. If I went back 30-something years, probably about 35 years, I'd see my mind's eye, I could see my parents in East Palatka had an old yellow and white just look run down, probably wasn't, but that's what my mind said. Run down, single wide trailer. Yeah, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I had that, that brown and yellow and orange shag carpet with zigzag in it. But I remember Brother David playing outside. Didn't nobody live around. There wasn't no friends to play around. It was just me and the dogs or me and something. Just me, I don't know. Man, I'd get hot and I'd turn on that spigot outside. And that water, I never knew there was something screwed on the end of that thing until I became an adult. Because my daddy always cut them off. And so to cut the end of that thing off and that water would come out of there. Man, that's cool. It, I think it was clean. But it was so refreshing. The house that we had up in Knoxville had a creek right behind the house. It was fed by a spring that right there at the base of my... But I, I never did. Never. Never did. How long did we live there? 17 years? 16, 17 years? Something like that. Brother Jim never tasted of it. Maybe I should have. Maybe that would have replaced what, what I drank from that hose. But there's something about that. and it, it takes me back to it every time I think about it. But listen to this. Listen to what Jesus said. John chapter number 4. <laughs> He's talking to an old sinner woman. He'd already told her, listen, you've already had five husbands, and the one that you're with right now, she's not, he's not your husband. He's already had a deep conversation about the mountain and the people that would come there to worship. And finally, in verse number 13, Jesus answered, Whosoever drinketh of this water that shall never thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that, excuse me, who, Jesus said in verse 13, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Amen. I couldn't tell you how many years ago we were at Brother Mark Biddy's church. And these girls, her last name was Taylor. I think one of them maybe was, was it Dana or something to that effect. And they got up, and I feel like they were just teenagers. I could be wrong. But they got up and they sang this song, Lord, give me a drink. You ever, you ever been somewhere and you feel like you're in pretty good shape, but all of a sudden, God dropped something on you. You had no idea you needed and I'm telling Miss Tanisha at that meeting, had no idea how thirsty I was. 
Now, the Scripture says if you drink of this water, Jesus says if you drink of the water that I give you, never thirst. So I'm not contradicting what Jesus has said. I'm never thirst. For my salvation, I'll never thirst. But we are leaky vessels. And in being a leaky vessel, sometimes we get dry. And we get cold. And we get parched. And we get hard. But it was, it was at that meeting where God said, you hear what they sing. Lord, give me a drink. And man alive, through the years, I, I, Lori has sang that song before. And I have, I, in my mind, I've tried to sing that song. Lord, give me a drink of this water. Something, something water. I know I remember of Miss Tanya. But oh, I can go back in my mind. I could, I could take, if y'all want to take a road trip, it'll take us about four and a half, five hours. I'll take you to Phillips Jerry Road in Galactic, Florida. And we'll pull in there. It's not called that anymore, but Joey, we'll pull in there what used to be known as State by Baby. And Abby, I'll take you through, now that I've got a chain link fence, and we'll, we'll, we'll go around with the first bay door. We'll, we'll center up. Daddy always had to have his truck centered in that bay for the day. Otherwise, you couldn't get back on the jump there. So it was centered right there, and I could take it just about maybe two, three, four steps right inside. I can turn. I can turn. And I remember on April 24th, it was a Friday afternoon around 2.20 p.m. I remember when I went to that well. And I remember Jesus saying, if you'll take this water, you'll never thirst you again. That's right. <laughs> oh! But I ain't never been the same since April 24th, 1992. And God has just blessed me. I'm telling you, there's something about that cool, refreshing water that comes from God. And when we get tired and we get weary and we get cold and we get all of these things in our lives and it, it gets us to where we're parched, sometimes we need a fresh drink of that water and we can go right back where we got it. When we get filled up with that heavenly water, we can overcome these giants, especially this giant of temptation. He said, my unquenchable thirst for wrong has been replaced with a thirst for living water that has satisfied the deepest longings of my soul. A man by the name of Frederick Wood, he said this about temptation. He's talking about 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's probably one of the most misused and misconstrued, misquoted verses of Scripture. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, and this is where they mess it up. But God is faithful who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. A lot of times people say, God's not going to put more on you than you can bear. That's not what the Bible said. He will put more on you than you can bear. Paul said that he was pressed out of measure. Paul said that he despaired even of life. Paul was ready to kill himself. But he wrote, there's not a single temptation that you'll face that God hasn't made a way to escape. And 
Frederick Wood said this, All that the Father promised, all that the Son provided, all that the Holy Spirit performs in us, what Jesus made possible, the Holy Spirit makes actual. What Jesus did for us, the Holy Spirit does in us. If you're dealing tonight with this temptation, I want you to know that Jesus is for you and the Holy Ghost is in you. And if you will put your trust in Him, then God can deliver you from this giant of temptation. Dear Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for your blessings. We thank You for the Word this evening. We thank You, God, for giving us strength and for giving us help to be able to preach tonight. God, I ask You, if You will, God, just lead us from temptation. Father, we pray this evening that You'd allow us, Lord, to be able to, to fight these battles not of our own strength or of our own might, but through You, God. God, I pray, Lord, specifically for this church, Lord, here in America's Georgia or Plains, Georgia, right on the line nearby, God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, this little church to be able to overcome this giant of temptation. God, we ask you that you'll do a work, Lord, in these people. Lord, give us a fresh drink of water. Father, we pray that you'd have your will tonight. Sure, we'll thank you. We'll love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. One day I came to him. I was so thirsty. Soldiers open to come tonight. For water, my throat was
thankful tonight that we've got that well springing up with life-giving water. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.